Hey out there in podcast land, welcome to Caregiving is a Ministry, where we look at the Word of God through the lens of caregiving. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook at Caregiving is a Ministry, all one word. It's Monday, the beginning of the week, and we are going to roll right through it, starting today with Psalm 80. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Hear us, shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherub, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. The branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down the wall so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, mighty God. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. So, this should be easy to guess what type of psalm this is and who wrote it. That's right, Asaf wrote this psalm and it is another lamenting psalm. But this psalm seems to be a little more tamer than the version that we read yesterday, right? They are still begging God to deliver them. They long to be God's chosen people again, to reap all the benefits that being his people afforded them. But it's more tame. I find this psalm to be poetic in its description, especially, well, more poetic in this description than in Psalms 79. Remember Psalm 79 was very explicit, but this one uses metaphors to express their frustration their fear, bewilderment at their predicament. What I find particularly poetic is verses 8 through 11. I think they um, asphalt um, used a beautiful way to remind the children of Israel of how God brought them out of Egypt, right? He says that they were a vine, right? That they were a vine from Egypt and that God cleared the ground and they took root. Clearing the ground is a metaphor for God protecting them, for fighting against their enemies, you know, so that no one would rise up against them, so that they would flourish and they became a nation. 
That's the taking root aspect of it. Have you noticed the frequency of agricultural references in this particular psalm? It's because they were a nomadic agrarian society. Remember, we've talked about this before. Even in the New Testament, Jesus uses agrarian parables and analogies. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the living water. All of these spoke directly to how they made a living as being a people, you know, who did agriculture. They were in the desert. Israel is in what can be referred to as the Near East, nestled in between the Middle East, and it's an Arab, arid climate. Water is essential for them to live, drink, and water their crops and livestock. Everything focuses on the agriculture. So it's no coincidence that this psalm and many others use language that speaks to that type of lifestyle, their lifestyle. But I still find these four verses to be very beautiful. Verse 12 asks God why he has broken down the walls and allowed people to pick grapes. That sounds funny, doesn't it? But once again, this is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for protection. God has removed his hand from them. Or another way of saying this that it's um, often phrased in scripture is God's face no longer shines upon them. That's also in this psalm meaning he's not looking directly at him. They don't have his full attention. He's doing something else. Now, we know that God is omniscient, omnipresent, that he's always, (laughs) we always have his attention. But they didn't know that. But this is a way of saying, Lord, we need you to come back. (laughs) We need you to restore us to the people that we once were. So they, they say it, that he's turned his face away from them, right? And at that time, right, even though they were uh, an agrarian culture, they needed protection in their cities. And the way they did that were erecting walls. Sometimes they were large walls. You remember the wall of Jericho? Sometimes it was just a perimeter, you know, with tents and and certain groups of men would um, patrol it. And so it meant protection to keep the people safe inside so that no one could come in and take whatever it was that they wanted from them, right? If they have no walls, they're prey to anyone and anything can happen. And this is why they were defeated by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and deported from their homeland. But here's a question for you. Who is the man on God's right hand in this psalm that it's referring to? Initially, you know, when I read it, And it said, where is it? It says, oh, the root your right hand has planted, right? The sun you have raised up for yourself. That's in verse 15. That's referring to Israel. They're saying that they are the sun. God has raised us up. We are the chosen people. But then it says the vine was cut down. But when you read verse 17 right in 18 let your hand rest on the man at your right hand the son of man you have raised up for yourself then we will not turn away from you revive us and we will call your name who do you think that's referring to i think yesterday's psalm was a hint the very ending of yesterday's psalm remember that it ended with david on the throne And I think that's 
what that passage is referring to. And a lot of us see this as a foreshadowing of Christ to come. But for the Israelites at that time, remember, they, they placed everything in David. He was God's anointed chosen one. And they're basically saying that if you restore him, if, if you bring us a person like David and put him on the throne, that they were confident that he would lead them back to God and restore them to God's favor. And David did during his reign. He ushered in what is known as the United Monarchy, where all the 12 tribes were under his authority and the the intra-tribal fighting had stopped and they became a cohesive nation. But sadly, it was his son, Solomon, during his reign that idolatry began to take root. And why do you think that happened? It was because Solomon married foreign women. I can't remember the number that I have been told in various um, Bible study classes of the number of wives, I'm using air quotes here, that Solomon had. But I'm going to tell you it was over 200. And he would, you know, build alliances with different nations. And so the way that you did that, and you can read this throughout history, they did that in Europe. You know, if, if I marry her from this, from France, and then England and France won't warn together. If I marry the person from Germany, you know, the same thing. Everyone kind of did this, but Solomon did this too. God didn't instruct him to do that. So he's bringing in all these foreign women and they're bringing their gods that they worship. And he allowed them to worship. And in allowing them to worship, it meant that they erected temples to their gods. And then as King Solomon was marrying foreign women, the men of Israel married foreign women. And so at the end of Solomon's reign is where we see the splitting of the tribes into that northern and the southern kingdom. A lot of history there, right? Just to give it to you. But this psalm, you know, another way of looking at them, you know, remembering, you know, where they've come from, being the vine and out of Egypt, all this nostalgia, so to speak, is basically saying, remember the good old days. Remember the good old days when God was with us. Although, you know, For us now, people remember the good old days and you have to think, were the good old days really good? But for the Israelites, yes, the good old days were really good. They were God's chosen, right? They remembered how good they had it and they want God's favor to return again. They want God to shine his face on them, which means giving them the attention and just being in his presence to look their way and smile. And this phrase should be familiar to you because it comes from Moses. And you can find it in Numbers 6:24. And a lot of Baptist churches, I grew up Baptist, so I don't know if other Protestant churches use this as the benediction, but we did. And it would and it reads The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Him lifting up his countenance to you is him looking at you, smiling upon you. And that's what Israel wants to happen again with them. So as you go about your day, caring for your loved one, I want you to know that God's face is shining on you. You are the apple 
of his eye that he has not forsaken you, but you have his full attention. And so I will close this psalm with this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus.